series uh, called Stuff from the Junk Drawer. Um, and uh, we have been hitting on topics and things, and I wanted to put, last week we talked about Proverbs, um, and we were also asked about parables, and so I wanted to put them back to back, um, so we could kind of deal with those in between, and then we're going to uh, deal with uh, the book of Obadiah um, next week, um, and then uh, we're going to have kind of a grab bag the week after that. I'll, I'll, I'll explain what's going on Labor Day weekend in a little bit, but... Um, <clears throat> so we're going to be looking at the subject of parables this morning. Um, and um, so I thought a great way to, to start this off, for those of you that are uh, have read your Bible and been engaged and stuff, everybody has a, a favorite parable, right? Um, one of those stories that Jesus told that just always stuck in your head. Either uh, It's either your favorite or it's the one you just don't understand, so we're going to take a minute and like, what is your favorite parable or what is the parable you, you really wish you understood? So we want to give you an opportunity to kind of, anybody? They're like, wait, we're not allowed to ask questions. Okay. Parable of the prodigal son. Um, yeah, that's that's one a lot of people identify with. Somebody else? Christy? Okay. All right. Shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one lost sheep. One of the shepherd parables. The good Samaritan. All right. Okay, yeah, Lazarus and the rich man. All right, Mike? Okay, the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, yep. Okay, Ariel? The one with the birds and the seeds, right, the sower and the seed, right. Somebody else? There are some that are just really, really um, annoying, like uh, the unjust judge, the one about the woman that goes to the judge and the judge won't give her a settlement, so she just keeps bugging him. Eventually, the judge gives her what she wants. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure what the application of this one is. Um, there, is uh, there, there are a couple where there are people, you know, the, 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 you know, the vineyard ones. He's got a lot of vineyard parables where, you know, a vineyard's entrusted to, to stewards and then he sends people to get the, the produce and they beat up the servants and then they kill the son and then the father gets angry and shows up and he's going to throw them all into eternal darkness. And it's like, wow, Jesus, you know how to work a room. You know, and it's like, you know, they're, they're, and then there are... And then there are lived parables. There are parables that he that that he would he would live out, like he strikes down a fig tree that doesn't provide fruit. Um, there's there's a lot of things that Jesus does uh, with a parable. You know the way that he and and Jesus uses this method of teaching where he he uses these stories to engage people. But how we read those stories, how we engage those stories, um, is an interesting question. All right, um, so. Let's uh, let's uh, let's start, have a word of prayer, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about what a parable is and how Paul and how Jesus uses them, um, and we're gonna go from there. So um, I'm gonna again I'm gonna invite the congregation to pray over our time 
uh, as we read the scriptures, if one or two people want to pray uh, over our reception of the word of God. Father, thank you for your word and all its mystery. And uh, help us to um, have our hearts and ears open to what you have to say this morning. We pray this by your spirit uh, to you, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 13. Now, um, parables are interesting things. Um, there, there, are, uh, there are several parables that appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then there are some that only appear in Matthew, some that appear in Luke and, and Mark and Matthew, but not Luke, some that appear in Luke, but not Mark and Matthew. There's, there's um, a lot going on there. Um, and one of the things that's important to understand when you read a gospel is don't read a gospel, this is, this is for free, but don't read gospels as modern histories. They are not. All right? Um, gospels are gospels. History is history. They are two very different things. Um, a gospel is not necessarily written to be a modern history, to be set up like a chronological biography of somebody or something like that. That's not what a gospel is. And so when the gospel writers report these parables, just be aware that not everything is going to line up. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the authors have different intent different reasons but number two if you take the entire time frame of everything that appears in the gospels and you try to add it up to make up how much of jesus's life is actually reported in matthew mark luke and john you get a grand total of less than a month um since his public ministry was three years and i as as a pastor as a preacher i can just go ahead and tell you that we reuse illustrations so, so one would assume that Jesus told these parables more than once. So if you see a difference all right, between this, this version, you know, Matthew's version of a parable and Luke's version of a parable, it doesn't mean that they're contradicting each other. It just means that Jesus told the story maybe more than once. Um, and and uh, so there's, there's a lot that goes on about that. The other thing that's worth knowing, just going in, into the front, is to understand this about ancient uh, literature and this is true in modern English as well, um, what's called, uh, it's called intertextuality. Um, when, you, when you tell a story in one context, you tell it the way that fits that context. When you tell a story in another context, you're going to tell it differently if you have a different meaning or intent to telling the story. So if I'm telling a story um, about... Um, the time that my dad slammed the emergency brake while I was learning to drive on the highway um, because he thought I was going to hit the person that was passing me in the breakdown lane. Um, and that in and of itself is a fascinating story about how, just how quickly a 1992 Ford Tempo can stop. Um, 
But, uh, uh, and, and if I tell that story, and I'm telling the story about paying attention to your surroundings, I'm going to tell that story differently than I'm going to tell that story about um, being a father who is aware of your children's needs. All right? Does that make sense? You're going to tell that story differently. So Jesus tells the same parable, and often he uses it, and the gospel writers will use the same parable, the same basic story structure, to make different points. So don't be surprised if you read a parable and you go, that's not the way it looked in Matthew. All right? that, that, that's because of all of this that's going on in terms of the gospel writers. And I would say that one of the strong arguments for the, the inspiration of the gospels is that those things were not smoothed out. Those rough edges still exist. If this was just a human effort to kind of develop a religion and an idea, then, then whoever was putting it together would be sitting there going, oh, well, Jesus, you know, that, that doesn't quite fit. Let's fix that. Let's amend that. And we actually have that in the manuscripts of the New Testament. There are times where people were copying down parts of the Bible and they remembered a parable or a story from somewhere else and they went, well, that's not how it went here. Let's go ahead and fix it. All right? And, and we have so many manuscripts of the New Testament, thousands and thousands of manuscripts of the Greek New Testament, that we can look through and go, oh, well, that's, somebody obviously was editing that, and we can, we, can, we can find the original reading when we read this. So when we read parables and you read through the Gospels, the first thing I would tell you is don't be worried if things don't quite fit the way that you think they should fit. All right? They were written the way they were written for a reason, and you have to always ask the question, um, of what's going on in the parable. All right, so that's just a disclaimer. That's like the introduction. We put that aside. Now we get into the message. Matthew chapter 13 um, and verse 10. We're just going to pick up verse 10. Uh, Matthew says, The disciples came and said to him, said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them, the people that have gathered around Jesus, in parables? Now, now I think the implicit question of this was, We have no idea what you're talking about. Could you just speak more plainly? You know, this is like the Hungarian instructions on how to assemble a bookshelf. I don't, can you just, can you just give it to us straightforward? All right. Um, but, they, but they blame the people. They said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets or the hidden things of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I love that when they asked Jesus to simplify things... He answers in a more complicated way. All right? And this is why, this by the way is why the title of the, of the sermon is an alliterated, uh, it's, it's what, parsing, parsing, I can't even remember what I wrote. It's got a wacky name on the bulletin. Yes, exactly, properly. It's all this alliterated. I like to make complicated, simple things complicated. So, um, and Jesus did it too, so it's okay. What would Jesus do? Um, this, is, this is why I speak to them. He says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have clo- and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Now what Jesus is actually saying is the reason I speak in parables is because 
if I give people an easy to understand on their level answer, it will not challenge them to rise to the occasion of following the Father. If I make it easy for everybody to understand, if I just reduce it to the lowest common denominator, if I just make it super simple and they don't have to do any work to believe, is it really belief? If I challenge them, if I present to them something that is difficult, then their eyes have to open, their ears have to open, their brains have to work, and they have to engage themselves in understanding. And those who love the Father will engage themselves in understanding, and those who do not will just say, oh, it's too difficult, and walk away. And so Jesus has a very practical reason for speaking in parables. And Matthew kind of lays that out, and then he kind of sits it there. Now, he's, this is in the middle of the parable of the sower and the seed. Um, he's explaining all of this. Um, but then he tells a bunch of other agricultural parables, and then at the end, in verse 34... We read this, all these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. So again, they ask Jesus why is he speaking in parables. He gives a complicated answer and then tells four more parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And this is really where I want to plan ourselves today. Um, And this is a quote from Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables... I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, if you've been around, you know that any time Jesus quotes the Old Testament, and it's a brief quote like this, it does not mean that he's just taking that verse and lifting it out of context. He wants you to read the whole thing. So let's do that. Psalm 78. All right, now the quote, The quote comes from Psalm 78, it's in verse 2. I'm not going to read the whole, whole thing. You can read that later, but I want to read the opening. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So Jesus says the purpose of a parable, the reason he speaks in parables, is to remind people of who God is, to remind people of who he is, remind people of what he has done, and to call them to wander, W-O-N-D-E-R, to call them to seek his glory, to remind them of his covenants and his testimonies, to shock them into remembering what this is all about. A parable forces them intellectually to engage spiritually. You know, our modern culture sometimes tries to put a divide between the mind and the spirit. Well, there's intellectual knowledge and there's spiritual knowledge. To Jesus, those two things were not exclusive. Your mind should be fully engaged in your faith. So, what's interesting, though, is that uh, this word, parable, the Greek word, it's just parabolos, it's not... You know, we didn't know what to call it, so we just took the Greek word and put L-E at the end. Um, 
but this, this Greek word is actually a translation of the Hebrew word that is translated as proverb. So when we talked last week about the proverbs, a parable is just like a proverb. It is a communication of wisdom. It is a means of, of speaking wisdom. Now, at Jesus' day, however, the meaning had shifted away from the little pithy statements we get in the book of Proverbs to this narrative format that Jesus uses so well, where he tells a story that illustrates a point. Um, parables are, if you want to define what a, the difference between a proverb and a parable, all right? if you want a, a kind of a textbook definition, a proverb is about living better as the people of God. All right? A proverb is about living better as the people of God. We talked about that last week. But a parable is a description of the kingdom of God. It is the realization of the messianic hope. It is the realization, this is what it means for God to rule and reign. That's what Jesus means when he tells parables. His parables are never about the people he's telling the parable to. And that's an important rule. You need to understand, Jesus is not sitting there giving people a band-aid about their particular solution. He is pushing them to see the kingdom of God. That's why he tells the parables the way he does. How many times does one of Jesus' parables start with, the kingdom of God is like... All right? Jesus is pushing them to understand something that they think they understand. The people of Jesus' day thought they understood what it meant to be the kingdom of God. It meant to be Jewish. It meant to go to the temple. It meant to be opposed to the Romans. It meant to hope for a, a Messiah who would come and overthrow the Romans. And wouldn't that be great? And Jesus says, no, no, the kingdom of God is not about what you get from God. It's not about the kingdom that you establish. It's about who God is. And all of his parables are focused on that. Um, Jesus talks about a parable as a secret wisdom, all right, as a hidden wisdom. It is not secreted, hidden as in eventually you will get to learn the rules. Um, in, in the martial arts, uh, one of the martial arts that I study, they, ha- they, have, um, they, they don't have, um, <clears throat> they don't have like belts, right? Like it's not like, oh, it's the orange belt with a green stripe, you know, kind of thing. Um, they, they have grades, they have uh, levels of the secrets being given. Right? And the highest level is Menkyo Kaiden, which means full transmission. Right? You've received the whole scroll. Menkyo means scroll or certificate. And the idea is eventually you reach a level where you, have, you are given access to all of the secrets. And ooh, wow. Now, my, my teacher's teacher gave him his Menkyo Kaiden on a coaster. So like he, he wrote it out in Japanese. He's like, now you have Menkyo Kaiden. Like, like, so they don't quite take it as seriously as it sounds in a lot of schools um but um but the idea is oh there are the secret wisdom now there's another school of that martial art um where and i wish i were making this up but it's but i'm not in order to be initiated into the secrets you have to sign what they call a blood scroll which is that you sign something with your blood that you will not share the secrets with people outside of the art needless to say i don't follow that one um and their Ike is terrible anyway. They're not very good at it. Uh, anyway, so, so the, this idea of a secret, when Jesus talks about it being hidden and talking about the secret things, he's not saying these are things that I'm keeping away until you make the right commitment. He's saying they're hidden to you because you're not willing to look. They're hidden like anything you send your small children to find. <laughs> they're hidden because they're not really looking. 
They are hidden things, not because God is keeping them from you, but because you're not really looking for them. And so Paul, Jesus says you have to engage your intellect, your mind, to understand what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, you know, I sketch this. I don't know whether this has any significance or meaning or if it's deep or shallow or what. But um, it takes more work to learn to ask the right questions than it does to just get the answers. And Jesus is asking them to ask the right questions. Now, if you watch the disciples through the Gospels, you will find them always asking the wrong question. Um, They just, they can't seem to grasp it. We, We mentioned one here where they're like, why do you speak to the people in parables? A.K.A., we don't understand what you just meant. All right. But they also have these things where Jesus, you know, I mean, they're out on a boat, they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the, and the disciples, this is one of my favorite moments in the Bible, the disciples turn around, look at each other and said, he's mad at us because we didn't bring bread. <laughs> now, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, by the way. He's not concerned about whether they brought bread or not. All right, um, but they 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 just they they miss the point so often. You know, I used to have a blog called Adventures in Missing the Point that was all about the Gospels and how 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 they just would they would just the disciples couldn't get it. The wisdom is not hidden; it's not secret in the sense that um, it's buried away, and he's only going to give it to you in little bits and pieces, which is very much how medieval aestheticism worked that you had to starve yourself and beat yourself and 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 strike your belt back with belts in order to receive enlightenment from from god but rather it requires the engagement of our whole being our minds our bodies our spirits our souls all right work requires commitment and things are hidden the things of christ tend to be hidden to those who want them to just be dumped on them i just want i just want to find i mean i can't tell you how many times uh when, when we actually talk about how much work does it take to understand the scriptures, it, it, the Bible is anyone can read the scriptures and understand, but that doesn't mean that you can read and understand the scriptures without working. It's accessible to everyone, but you have to put the effort in. You have to read, you have to work, you have to be wrong at times. Um, I excel at being wrong. So, you know, th- there, there are things that we just we have to engage in. So um, let's talk about what a parable is like. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a few just I'm gonna give you two things you have to remember about a parable, and I'm gonna use I'm gonna use a particular parable in this case just for fun. All right, this one right here. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. The kingdom of heaven, he put another parable before them, Jesus talking to the disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then he says another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like... Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, so many people, when they come to a parable like this, they want to read it and they want to. Here's the first thing that you want to that you want to avoid. They want to create. They want to make it an allegory. In other words, what they want is every single piece of it has to have a corresponding spiritual truth or idea. So they're like, what is the mustard seed? 
What, what is the, the leaven? Uh, what, is, what is the field? Who is the man who sows? And they want to come up with a symbolism for everything. They want to break it down. They want to do it. Now, sometimes Jesus does that. He does it in the parable of the sower of the seed. He says, the seed is this, the land is this, the dry land is this, the rocky land is this. He goes through and breaks down. Um, but sometimes Jesus' point in a parable was not for you to take the parable and go, okay, mustard seed. Let's research mustard seed through the whole Bible. And let's talk about our context. Well, mustard is good on hot dogs. So... You know, like, like, and, and I've seen people do this kind of stuff, especially when they're dealing with eschatology and they're trying to like find the end times, and they're like coming up with all these dates. The new rage, by the way, is that 5G, right? Do you guys know what 5G is? It's what comes after 4G. It's just cell data technology. That 5G is the mark of the beast. It's one of the most amazingly crazy ideas that I've ever encountered. One day I'll write a paper about it, but. Um, the, the, uh, this, this whole idea is like, well, let's take this, the mustard seed, what does it mean? What does the ground mean? What does the people mean? Jesus' point is not an allegory. He's not trying to say all this stuff stands in for stuff. Jesus is saying very, something very simple. If you look at both of these parables and you put them together, it makes it very simple. The kingdom of God, a little bit of kingdom of God, transforms the world in amazing ways. He's like, you guys are looking for big things, it's all about the little things. It's really all Jesus is trying to get across. He's not trying to, he's not trying to give them an allegory. You're going to take this and meditate upon it and come back. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Come and tell me. If a, if, you know, if a, if a tree falls on a clown in the, in the woods and there's no one to see there, does people laugh? You know, it's like they, these, these, these strings. <laughs> that was called a non-sequitur, um, non-sequitur. Uh, but, the, but we go, you know, all these questions that go, that go off and people want to dig so deep. And we dig so deep, we miss the point. Now, I, I grew up in farm country. You know that if you dig, if you bury seeds too deep, they don't grow? So sometimes we want to dig so deep into the parables, and what Jesus is saying is just very simple. It's just very simple wisdom. A little thing, a little bit of the kingdom of God transforms the world in a big way. That's all he's trying to say. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to watch out that you don't overthink these. They're not always allegories. Sometimes it just requires that you consider it that you engage your intellect, but not super overthink it. And then there's a second thing about the parables. Often they're very open-ended. Now, here's my rule for interpreting a parable. Are you ready? Here you go. Rule number one. If Jesus gives an explanation, that's the explanation. I know that's profound, but it's true. If Jesus tells a story, he presents a parable, and then he says, and here's what the parable means. Guess what? That's what the parable means. You can just stop right there. Jesus explained it. It's enough. Rule number two, if the disciples figure it out, that's the explanation. So maybe Jesus doesn't explain it, but then the disciples go, oh, this is what he's talking about, and Jesus doesn't contradict him, then that's the explanation. Third rule is, if the context can explain it, like if there are two parables that are similar to one another right next to each other, if the context can explain it, then that's the explanation. And rule number four, if there is no explanation, there is no explanation. It's okay to not have an answer. Sometimes Jesus just tells a parable to get you thinking. And that the parable doesn't actually correspond to the reality. Let's take the parable of the, of the unjust judge I mentioned earlier. Jesus tells this parable about a woman who has been wronged. She goes to a judge. The judge refuses to give her what she deserves. She pesters him and pesters him and pesters him. And eventually he gives up because she's annoying. 
This is not teaching us a great truth about how to pray. Prayer is not nagging. If I just keep asking Jesus this, he will make it happen. I just keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. I mean, this is the child philosophy of asking for things, but, and eventually they wear you down, but it doesn't work with God. Jesus actually tells the parable to illustrate what prayer is not. So if you go to the parable and you try to say, okay, so the woman corresponds to us and the unjust judge corresponds to God and the request corresponds to our prayer, if you go through and try to analyze it that way, you're going to come up with the wrong answer. And, and I mean, the, the answer, whenever you're wondering whether you came up with the wrong answer about something in the Bible, if you go somewhere else in the Bible and it contradicts your answer, your answer was wrong. I mean, it's pretty simple. And, and Jesus teaches about prayer. And how, when the disciples wanted, them, wanted him to teach them to pray, what did he do? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us unto this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That, you know that prayer that you know, other churches recite all the time and probably not a bad idea that we do it. Um, Jesus didn't sit there and go, okay, in order to pray, nag God. Right? That, that's not the point of that parable. And when people interpret it that way, it's because, it's because they want something that's open-ended to be closed-ended. It's a challenge to their way of thinking. Because how, how did Jewish prayer work in the first century? So this is the question that we ask. And the idea was that repetition got results. Right? So if you fulfilled all the proper rules of what a prayer should be, God should respond and give you what you want. Uh, remember the story that Jesus tells about the two men that go to the temple? And the Pharisee goes, and the first thing he says is, God, I am so thankful that I am not like this publican. The Pharisee, Because the Pharisee's got everything in order. He's done all the Torah stuff he's supposed to do, therefore God is obligated to answer his prayer. That's his attitude. Whereas the sinner, the publican, walks up and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Why does he say that? He says it because he knows it's not about repetition that gets me prayer. It's not about whether I've done everything in the right steps. It's about a penitent heart before a loving God. So when we look at all of Jesus' parables about prayer, we see that the unjust judge thing obviously doesn't teach us how to pray. It teaches us how not to pray. It teaches us more about our hearts in relationship to the kingdom of God than it does about what the kingdom of God is actually about. And that's an open-ended parable. And see, here's the deal about parables. I mentioned it at the beginning. I'll bring it up again. A parable is always about the kingdom of God. It is always about, it is a description, either in the positive or in the negative. Um, it is a, an open-ended description of what God is doing and what he desires of us rather than what we desire of him. So think about one of Jesus' parables, and, and it was mentioned earlier, the parable of the sower and the seed. Jesus tells this whole parable how you know, a guy goes and sows seed, um, and um, it's, I don't know what that is, but that, that's him sowing seed. Um, he's, he's very casual about it. They're just all dropping right there. He's not working. Um, but, but some of it falls on, you know, some of it falls on the road. And the birds come and take it. And, and Jesus says the birds of the devil, the, the accuser, the tempter, he comes and takes them away. He says then some of it falls in rocky ground and, and so the, you know, it sprouts up real quick, but then it dies. 
And he goes, those that receive those, you know, they receive the word, but then, but then it dies within them. And then some, some of the weeds, you know, some lands in the weeds and it grows up, but then the weeds kind of crowd it out and it died. And he says, there are some that land on good ground. And the immediate response to that is, you know, our response to that kind of probably is, oh, I want to be good ground. How do I, how do I be good ground? You know, how do, how, do, how do I achieve this kingdom goal? But what I think Jesus was actually trying to say to the disciples was, I cast the seed to you. You're responding back and forth to me. You're the good ground. I have entrusted you with the word. Preach it. Be the gospel. Live. Because this is what the kingdom is. Rather than us sitting there and going, how do I get to be more kingdomish? It is Jesus, it's Jesus saying, calm down and do what I called you to do, and that's what will happen. You see, so when Jesus is talking, if you read the parables as, what is it about the kingdom of God that's being told in this parable? It's extraordinary to see how it changes. Because let me tell you what happened to me as a kid reading that sower and the seed parable. Um, it occurred to me, and part of this is probably my personality, my kind of glass half empty person, but it kind of occurred to me that I should be able to look around and decide who is rocky ground and who is weedy ground and who is possessed by the devil and I should just be able to analyze because obviously, I mean, how many of us actually sit there and go, well, clearly, I'm the good ground, you know, so everybody else, you know, the, 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 the parable is not about us. Parables are never about us achieving the kingdom of God. It's about what the kingdom of God is and what God is doing. And if we read the parables, again, both positive and negative, the unjust judge is an, a negative parable, all right? then sower and the seed is a positive parable. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's not about us. What was the hardest thing that Jesus' disciples had to deal with about Jesus' teaching ministry? It was the realization that it wasn't about them. Jesus... When will you restore the kingdom, in parentheses, for us? Jesus, how do we have power? Jesus, we notice people that weren't us doing stuff, and we want you to judge them. They go through their life trying to make the kingdom of God about, uh, about themselves, the disciples do, and Jesus is constantly telling them it's about him. It's about God. It's about the glory of God. So if you read the parables, not as some kind of key to Christian living or anything, but rather about glorifying God, if we read it about seeing the kingdom of God, then suddenly the things that get so big and picky about the parables aren't that important. Because ultimately, we walk away from them going, that's about God. Who is the hero of the parable of the prodigal son? father the parable of the prodigal son is not about the prodigal son and it's not about the self-righteous son it's about the father the parable of the lost sheep the 99 and the one who is that parable about it's not about the lost sheep it's about the shepherd See, when you read the Proverbs and you read the, or read the par- parables and read them as if they are about the kingdom of God, you realize, I was focused on that sheep. I didn't realize it's about the shepherd. 
I was focused on, on, you know, on whatever I thought was the big deal. I was focused on the ground, the sower and the seed, rather than focusing on the farmer, the sower. And, and we read the parable about the vineyards, and we go, we read all oh, those terrible, horrible stewards, and they're awful people. But it's not about them. It's about the man who owns the vineyard. And we read the parable about the talents, right? Jesus tells a parable about God, a man giving five talents to one man, two pounds to one man. Uh, America's got talent to one. And, and the guy with five, he makes ten. And the guy with two, he makes four. And the guy with one, he buries it in the ground. And so God, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And everybody says, oh, well, this is about the guy who didn't, who didn't manage the talent. No, it's not. It's about the guy who gave the talents. He's the one who has the power to decide who gets what. It's not, you, you see, the parables are always about God. They're always about Christ. Jesus is constantly calling us to embrace, engage our minds and our spirits and our hearts to perceive what God is doing and to take the focus off of ourselves and place them on him. Place it on him. Heavenly Father, as we, we go to your word and we study your, your, your truth, Lord, may we always turn our focus to you. May your glory be our glory. May your praise be our praise. May your voice be the one we hear over our own. Give us the resolve and the commitment to focus our whole being on knowing you. And in knowing you to be transformed, to follow Christ, to serve a world to serve your word, your gospel, to a world that so desperately needs to hear from you. We pray all of this. Holy Spirit, we pray it in your power, in the name of Jesus Christ, to you, God our Father. Amen.